Welcome to Tad Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Strategy Podcast. This is your host, Tad Dickel. And I'm here today with our guest, Dr. Daryl Hagan. Daryl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tad. Glad to be here. We, uh, we're excited to have you on this uh, podcast. You might have the longest title out of any uh, guest we've had uh, since the podcast started, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, currently, you serve as director of, the, of Catholic School uh, Accreditation and Interim Director for the Institute for Transformation of Catholic Schools at the Catholic University of America. And for those people listening in the Evansville region, many of you may recognize your name uh, for serving as the uh, your former superintendent of the Catholic Schools in the Diocese of Evansville. Absolutely. You know, Tad, I was blessed to serve with three different bishops in Evansville, and uh, it, it was really an honor to serve as the superintendent. Great. And you were in that role for, was it? 12 years. 12 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background. I, I shared some some long titles mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that you hold right now or previously held. Uh, but tell us, you know, how did you get to this point in your career? Yeah. Going to, to college, like many people, I thought I had a path and then realized that I, I now looking back, I think God had a different path for me, but I was going to be a child psychologist. That's what I was going to study, and that's what I was going to do. And I don't know, something happened uh, my junior year in college, and teaching uh, really spoke to me. And uh, and it wasn't the three months off in the summer because you know that's really a misnomer. And teachers really are never off; they work twelve months a year. Uh, but at the time, uh, I, I made that decision and was so pleased to be getting my first job at Christ the King Catholic School, but not on the east side of Evansville, but in Madisonville, Kentucky, and uh, just was so pleased to do that. And then really wanted to go to Holy Name. Holy Name is something that continues to come to me. Holy Name of Jesus Catholic School in Henderson is uh, the school that I went to as a, as a child for my elementary school years. And so from Christ the King to Holy Name, and then returned later to be the principal of Holy Name for 13 years. And yet today I'm doing, through the Institute, through the university, I'm doing professional development for Catholic identity for the teachers at Holy Name. So um, Holy Name has been a recurring theme, but I, I've been very blessed to be a Catholic school teacher, principal, director of a Catholic school, consolidated school system in Owensboro, Kentucky. And then, as you said, 12 years as a superintendent and now in working in Washington, D.C., uh, at the Catholic University of America going on almost two years now. Tell us then about your current role. So you moved from being a superintendent, almost 40-year career mm-hmm. in, in Catholic schools, and then now have decided you made this change. It's been a few years now. Mm-hmm. And tell us about that role in the accreditation yeah. work that you're trying to to do there. Sure. What a blessing it is to see the good work happening across the United States, not just here locally in Evansville, but across the United States. What's happening in Catholic education 
there's this new energy. I think part of it is the the surge that we experienced with COVID when a lot of parents enrolled their children in Catholic schools. We're seeing that this surgeons across the United States, and I get to be a part of that. As uh, interim director of the whole institute, I'm, I'm involved in teacher formation, leader formation, research, and school accreditation. I was an, uh, uh, originally hired to do school accreditation. Uh, there are secular companies and there are a few smaller options of Catholic accreditation, but those are limited in a geographical area. And so we built, we were charged with building and we did build uh, the first national Catholic school accreditation for any K through 12 Catholic school in the United States. Uh, right now, Cathedral High School in Indianapolis is one of our pilots. We're piloting this year with 93 Catholic schools. We have the entire Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, as I mentioned, Cathedral High School, and one in Denver, Colorado. And um, it, it, it's just really a, a wonderful opportunity for me to be able to connect with, collaborate with, and, and make a small difference, we hope, in building the success of this future of our Catholic schools. Great. Well, that sounds like an exciting effort and uh it's great to hear interest from all over the country in this accreditation program that you're helping build. One of the questions I had for you as you are in this role and you're rolling out something brand new, and that can be difficult for any leader to roll out a new idea or to try to create buy-in. Uh, so talk a little bit of how you've tried to communicate the value or importance of this accreditation program with, I would assume, bishops and superintendent of schools, principals, diocese. Talk a little bit about what you've done to, and maybe any takeaways that you think other leaders could could learn from that experience. Yeah, I think when you are approaching something new, I think that regardless of what it is, you, you have to understand and know what it is that makes the niche for you. What is it that you're doing that maybe no one else is? Because how can you be a disruptor within your field or within your company if you don't have something unique to offer? And so we come to this not with the same type of accreditation that most schools are aware of. Most schools understand that when you have accreditation, you have to have stakeholder feedback. You have to have on-site visits. There are these things that you have to have. So what can we bring to the table that's unique? And we did that within Lumen Accreditation. And so when you go to talk to bishops or you go to talk to your stakeholders, you have to, one, understand what it is that you're offering what's unique about that, and really communicate that to the stakeholders that you're speaking to. And so when we share with our bishops and our superintendents and Catholic school teachers and administrators that ours is unique because one, it is from the Catholic University of America. So the credentialing alone, because the Catholic University of America is the only university in America that belongs to the United States bishops. It is owned by the bishops for the bishops. And so we have their support from the get-go when we start this. And to be able to share the retreat experience, the discernment process that we've built, that's what makes us unique. And so we share this with them, and 
because there is this hunger for this uh, of this newness that I talk about, this renewal in Catholic schools, people just naturally gravitate. And we have become a disruptor in the accrediting uh, arena in the United States. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. One of the areas I also wanted to talk to you about is over your career in Catholic school leadership, um, leading teams, leading schools, leading dioceses. How would you describe your approach to leadership? What what would you say are the lessons that you learned that really make an effective leader? Uh, you know, Tad, first of all, I think it's always important as a leader to remember it's not about you. And I, I've always remembered that. No matter whether I was the teacher, it was about the students. When I was principal, it was about the teachers. And when I was superintendent, it was about the principals. And you, you have to always remember, it's really not about you. It's about the mission. And I've always felt and, and hoped and, and prayed that people saw that I cared more about the individual than I ever did about the mission or the, uh, or the task of the day at hand. That if you care about the individual first and foremost, the rest of it will probably take care of itself. I mean, of course, you have to have, you know, you have to have a, a good mission. You have to have effective practices. All those things are important. But if you don't start with caring about the individual as a human being, then the rest of it, it can take care of itself. But it won't if you don't start there. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, it often goes down to the relationship. Everything's relational, which is why the book is about relations. <laughs> <laughs> and when we have positive relationships with people, it, it can help make those difficult situations even more easily navigate, navigable, if that's a word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk. You mentioned your book. You just uh, published this in the last uh, month or two, Communion and Community, and this includes ways to engage Catholic school teachers. Tell us what led to you writing this book. Not only was it part of my doctoral research, so the book, while may sound like, oh, it's got a lot of fun activities, it's actually based in research. And so 10 years ago when I uh, received and earned my doctorate, I have been doing these things over the course of these 40 years. I did it naturally at first because I thought it was important to bring people together. But then I became more focused after the research because I wanted to be intentional about how we did these things. And as I would go and and do conferences and present on how to do all of these things, people would naturally say, well, I hope you have a book. Do you have a book? Did you write this down? And I'd be like, well, I'm really busy right now. And so I'd write it down or I'd write a few things and then I'd get busy again and then I'd write a few more. And, and so the book is really a natural reflection of the 40 years of me building, engaging activities to bring people together. And that's why I wrote it. It's funny because we worked together for mm-hmm. the listeners. Uh, Daryl and I had an opportunity to work together for several years and I was leading a workshop not too long ago, and I needed a fun and engaging activity, and I used one that I remembered from a, from a meeting that I attended with you, and, and so I know that the activities that you've put together 
would be a great benefit to our, our listeners, anybody who's trying to listen to lead a team. And one of the things I think is important for us to focus on today is this topic of engagement. When leaders are talking about the challenges of attracting and retaining employees, that issue of engagement is really important. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about what that word really means and and how these you know activities and your book helps address that that um, area of engagement. Sure, I'd be glad to. So you know, while the book is 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 solely focused on Catholic school teachers, anyone out there listening can change that to employees and be able to do that. Some of the activities are specific to the Catholic Church, but majority of them are just activities to build engagement. And we know that engagement, a lot of people will say, Tad, engagement and satisfaction are the same thing, and they're not. We know that teacher satisfaction or employee satisfaction only indicates how happy or content the person is at their at the school or at their place of employment. But it doesn't address their level of motivation or their involvement or even their emotional commitment to the school or place of employment. We know that teacher engagement is the extent to which teachers feel passionate about their ministry, are committed to our church, and they put discretionary effort into their classroom and school. And so you can turn that around for just an employee of a company and say, you know, what is the extent the employee feels passionate about their corporation or or how committed are they to their job and how much discretionary effort do they put into their roles and responsibilities? And what's interesting is Margaret Wheatley uh, did a lot of research about this, and she recognized that in organizations, real power and energy are generated through relationships. And she says that the pattern of relationships and the capacities to form them are more important than the task, function, role, and position that you hold. And so when she talks about the pattern of relationships and the capacity to form them, this book helps do that. It helps create the condition to bring engagement to your company or to your Catholic school. I like that you distinguish between satisfaction and engagement. To me, satisfaction feels sort of passive, mm-hmm. and it it feels like uh, as if I were to say, "How satisfied are my employees?" Well, they're satisfied enough not to leave, mm-hmm. or maybe they're not dissatisfied enough to to leave or to consider leave leaving. But that word discretionary is, is key because. So many employees, and if you look at the research on engagement, uh, a very high percentage of people come to work, they clock in, they clock out, they do just enough not to get fired, to retain their job, but that roughly a third of people, Gallup would say, are engaged in their mm-hmm. in their work. And those are the people that are willing to do work above and beyond what's maybe the bare minimum in their job description, that they're willing to give their discretionary time and talent to make the organization better. And, uh, you know, I, I sometimes think if we could, as, as leaders, focus on converting 
more of the satisfied people to truly engage people, our organizations would be, uh, I would say the work would be much more fulfilling. Our organizations would be much more effective. They would be more efficient. They'd be more productive. Um, and so that's that's one thing I'm really excited about the the book that you've written to help give some leaders tools to do that type of work and to help them help their employees uh, be more engaged. I, and I completely agree because we have to remember I I could be an employee that is satisfied by sitting there doing nothing all day. And so <laughs> if you ask me if I'm satisfied in my job, that might be yes, but that might not be good for the company or the Catholic school or the educational institution that you're referring to. And so it really is something for leaders out there to not, not ask necessarily, are my employees satisfied, but are they engaged in what they're doing? And, and this book, it's not going to solve all the problems in the world, but it does be, it does help you do step by step throughout the year. And many employees do certain some of these, you know, have a luncheon, do things for people's birthdays. But you can take that to the next level and be able to do even more. Mm-hmm. And your comments about Margaret Wheatley were were interesting, thinking about relationship. And it's easy for us to consider leadership being about title or authority. And when it comes down to it, it's more about the relationship and it's more about the ability to influence people and influence change. Absolutely. Remember when at the beginning of the podcast, it's really not about me and it's really not about you. It's not about our titles. It's not about what role and responsibilities, but it's our ability to be relational with others. That's the real power that people have. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're at the top of your organization. You could be toward the bottom of the organization and have really strong relational ties with people, which in then gives you probably a, quite a bit of power that a lot of people don't realize you actually have. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you say that leadership isn't about me or um, I, I always listen to the language that people use. and uh, we, we sometimes hear leaders that say I and me and mine and, you know, my team, my employee, I did this, I did that. And one thing leaders need to be careful about is, is making sure when we're using that type of language, it ought, leadership often becomes about us Correct. and about our ego. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage leaders as just a small step if they find themselves doing that to really be intentional about the language that we use so that it's, you know, our team, we accomplish this or, or even you accomplish, you know, and, and give credit where credit is truly due. Absolutely. I will say that, you know, when I was a teacher, it was really about what the students did when I was principal. It, the only success that I quote had was really nothing I did. It was what they did together as a team. So when those those teachers performed well in the classroom, our students then did well. Really, I was just a very small cog in that wheel, but it was what they did. And when 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 our teachers and our Catholic schools in Evansville 
performed in the high, one of the highest ranked highest in the state scores during COVID had very little, almost nothing to do with me. And so as superintendent, I could never say I, or even my team or my schools or my principals, because as I told those teachers, when we gathered, that was you doing that. And it was their synergy and their efforts. And really, I was just trying to stay out of the way and give them the platform to do what they need, what they do best. And I think that's what we as leaders, like you said, we have to do. And we have to understand it's really not about us. And it's about us supporting and providing those supports to them so that they can do the job that they're meant to do. I've heard some leaders talk about how one of the most important things they do is lead meetings. Mm -hmm. And and I sometimes joke about this as a leader and say, if I didn't have meetings to go to, I wouldn't have anything to do at all. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really true that that time we spend in meetings is our opportunity for us to visibly lead. And I know one of the areas that your book addresses is how we can have effective meetings. What does the, what is the research and what does your experience tell us about uh, what an effective meeting looks like? You know, my, my lived experiences as well as my research has shown that there are a lot of poorly ran meetings out there. And, uh, and, and no fault to, to, I think the people running them, I think they just don't know any different. I also don't think that, uh, my lived experience has, has proven that I I don't think they even understand the importance of when you gather people, you either gather all of your managers, a, a principal gathers all of their teachers. It's a unique time for them in that you are gathering the people together. And most of the day, these people are never together. So in terms of teachers in schools, your teachers are never in the same room, except at a faculty meeting. I can't think of any other time when all of your teachers are together for that purpose. And it's so it's, it's once a month, usually for a few minutes for an employee for at a company. Sometimes it's once a month, if, if that. And I don't think we sometimes realize that if we're going to gather them, this has got to go well. It, so it, it has to have a plan. And in the book, I do talk about seven key things for your faculty meetings, which also can be related directly to any company. And one is, for, now for a Catholic school, it would be Catholic identity. We, we would never gather without prayer and, and, and be intentional about that prayer. As a company, you would gather and you'd be really intentional about talking about the mission of your company. You'd want to start with something mission-related, like one of the mission activities in this book. Mm-hmm. But having an agenda, a, a, a written agenda, a lot of times managers, principals, people will tell me, oh, I've got an agenda. It's in my head. And I'm going to, so you get there and then you're all over the place because it's not written down. So you have to have a, a clear purpose and it needs to be put in writing and shared out prior to the meeting. The environment of the meeting is so important and so critical to the success of a meeting. What's the temperature of the room? Who's sitting where? What kind of chairs are they sitting in? Are, are, are there enough chairs? I've been in meetings where some people have had to stand because nobody thought to say, oh, 30 people are coming and this room only holds 20. And so what the environment space looks like is important. 
I believe that every meeting should not be about people giving reports. It really has to have a professional development core to it. If you're going to bring your company together, you're going to bring teachers together, you've got to teach them something, right? You've got to be able to um, to impart something that will make what they do worth it so that they'll come away like, this is something new that we, we're going to be able to do. This is new software. We can use something. You have to build community and cultural building, which is mostly what this book is about. I also think that in every meeting, you should monitor who's talking. Who is talking and what percentage did they talk? If the superintendent or the uh, principal or the CEO or the manager is doing the majority of the talking, you've got a problem. Because again, what did I tell you at the beginning in the middle of this podcast? It's not about me. So we don't need to be doing the majority of the talking. We can start the talk. We can initiate the conversations. We can do summaries at the wrap-up, but the people in the room should be doing the majority of the talking. So as, as somebody that, if you're out there and listening and you're like, oh, I'm going to have a meeting in two days with people, take a minute and ask yourself, who does the majority of the talking? And see if you can change that. And then finally, the seventh one, which I've never seen in a list for uh, any kind of research, it's the one I've added, and it's the laughter. And I believe that laughter is the barometer to a successful meeting. If you can have people laugh, we have serious issues out there in education, in companies, very serious issues. But you have to have the ability to bring people together, and then there has to be this level of lightness to it. And when people laugh, we know that uh, it makes people relax. It makes people more open. And of course, the whole meeting can't be, you know, a comedy fest either. But there has to be a section of that meeting, either at the beginning or the end, or even in the middle, where you do something lighthearted, where you share something, a story, something that makes people laugh. And like I said, I, I use it as a barometer for every major meeting that I have. And even my my um, every day, Monday, I mean, uh, our, I meet with my small team every morning and we try to find something to laugh at because laughing is important and it helps build that communion and community that's so important. Good. One of the points uh, I think is important for all of us to consider is about who's doing the talking at a meeting. And that's something that I see in my consulting work where, for example, I'm I've been called in to lead strategic planning at a company and I asked them about, you know, what's the current state or what are the future opportunities we need to consider? And the first person who always speaks is a CEO. And as a leader, it's hard to do this, but sometimes when we're asking people for input, allowing some silence is okay and and maybe being the last person to speak could be a goal for some Absolutely. people. And, and that shows that it's not about just me and my ideas and, and my thoughts. About That's it. right. And, you know, Tad, the ability to listen is a skill. And it's one that is very hard for people to truly listen. Because if you're listening, then you are taking in what they're saying versus I'm waiting for you to stop talking because I've got seven things I want to say because I know more than you. 
So if you, but you know, just because you're not talking doesn't mean you're listening. And so you, you really do want that ability to let others really talk and know that you can still be a leader without doing all the talking. Mm-hmm. Right. One, when I've led workshops in the past, it's funny because one, one thing I've taught about is uh, often active listening. And it's such a simple thing, but people walk away from workshops saying that that's one of the most impactful parts of, of the training that they've attended with me. And it's funny because I think this is so easy and we all know deep down that that's important, but we don't give ourselves the opportunity to really um, stop and truly listen and not think about our response, not immediately judge what they're saying, but just to be in the moment with somebody, to listen to them and try to understand where they're coming from. I think that is something that goes back to building relationships with people. Tad, when you said that, it, it dawned on me that a couple of years ago, you led a retreat for INPEA. It's a, the Indiana Non-Public Education Association Board of Directors. And I know that after you left, the people said to us, I think they may have even said it to you directly, but I know they said it to us afterwards that you act, that you are skillful in active listening and that no matter what we said, no matter how crazy the thought was or the idea was as we were planning for the future, you were, you were receptive and, and it, it created a safe space for everyone to feel like, oh, we can share really whatever we want to share that we think will help this organization grow in the future. And because you had that skill set and you do it very well. And so it is great to see that you're teaching that to others, because as you said, it seems simple and it really is, but it's a skill that has to be honed. And, 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 and it's so important if you're going to set the tone for success mm-hmm. in these meetings. Right. And I might build on too one of the areas you had mentioned, each meeting, including some sort of like community or culture building. And I think at the heart of that is probably the concept of psychological safety where we create a safe space where people feel comfortable. You talked about a physically comfortable space, you know, making sure that people have a place to sit and, you know, they're not freezing cold or anything like that. But creating a safe space where people feel, you know, physically safe, they also feel psychologically safe to share their opinions without the, uh, you know, fear of retribution or, um, somebody making fun of what they say. Uh, I think that is a really critical role of the leader. And when when you talk about the the strategic planning session that I, that I led and you were part of, one of the things that we want to do, if we're going to share ideas with people, we have to create this safe space where people can say this a wild idea, and and you know maybe the we're not going to move forward with that wild idea, but sometimes just sharing a wild idea encourages other people to come up with another wild idea that might be realistic and might be a way for the company or school or organization to really improve. You know, one of the, one of the most simple activities that's in the book is if you have a group of people, tell them for the first time ever, get your cell phones out. 
coach, you know, we're always saying, get, put your cell phones away and have them share with either, depending on if it's a small group with everybody, if it's a really large group with two other people, have them share the picture on their lock screen because the majority of people in America, and I've done this all across the country. I've done this with hundreds of people in a room and, and I've done it with 10 people in a room and you say, get your cell phones out and share, just share with someone in the room. What is the picture that you have chosen for your lock screen? And if you, and if you have the generic, just bubbles rolling around that uh, Apple put on there, then you can say, show the last picture you took on your phone. And, but generally that lock screen gives, uh, gives everybody this opportunity to share something that they love, a sunset, a trip, a vacation, a grandchild, their own children, their spouse, their dog. Uh, it, and and it, it, it does exactly what you said. It, it provides this opportunity to talk. Uh, if, if I'm a person that doesn't like to talk in meetings, I'm now talking to someone about something I'm really passionate about because I put it on my lock screen and it, and it gives that sense of relaxation. And then if, so if you do that at the start of your next meeting, I promise you, you will have people laughing. You will have people talking, people that maybe don't even talk to each other generally in the course of the day. But if they show that they have a dog, a certain kind of dog, that person two departments down may say, I have that dog. And then you now have made this connection with someone and it seems simple. And it seems like most of the things in this book are like, well, you know, does it, would that really happen? And the answer is yes, I've lived it. It's my lived experiences that these kinds of activities really do help tear walls down and build communion and community. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and when it comes down to it, sometimes it's easy for us to make leadership something really complicated. Mm -hmm. I think many of us know what effective leadership looks like, but it's hard for us to actually do it. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, and it's those, those big things like relationship, mm -hmm. like treating people with respect and dignity, figuring out what's important to them, uh, listening. Those are, those are, key foundational elements of good leadership. You know, it's, it's interesting to me that you also said just now that it's hard for people. And so one of the, the, I think in the introduction of this book, I actually recognize that and say, I know this is really hard for some people because they're going to say, now this seems silly. And, or people are going to be like, we're going to do what today? We're going to do a, a, a changing diaper relay because the majority of the people on our staff are expecting a new baby. <laughs> and so I actually did that with the principals. I think you may have already been gone at that point, but we had five spouses, you know, that were uh, women that were expecting. And so all of the principals in the diocese of Evansville participated in a relay race where they changed the diapers on this teddy bear. <laughs> and, uh, and then of course the reward was that we gave gift baskets to all of the people expecting. And so, but just that silliness alone we recognize that that's hard for people. If you're not used to doing these kinds of things, you think this isn't going to work or this isn't going to achieve what we really think it's going to achieve. I can tell you, I think you may have been a part of when we played Scrabble uh, with 600 teachers at, I think it was Good Shepherd Catholic mm -hmm. School. I had, we, where we bring all the teachers together several, several years ago, and I had them create words. I'm about to do that for a company here in a couple of months. 
where they're having their conference and I'll have a couple hundred people and we're going to play Scrabble and each person gets a letter and you have to form a word. And it really will be a great kickoff to their social event that night to where we are, again, bonding complete strangers together that have a common goal to come to a conference. But it's one of these activities and they really do make a difference. One question I wanted to ask you about was related to in-person versus virtual work. So most of your career has been in-person meetings. Now you're working for the Catholic University of America. Your home office is in Evansville, Indiana. Campus is in Washington, D.C. You're probably meeting schools from all over the country for sake of time and cost. You're meeting virtually. What are, what are your thoughts about engaging people in person versus virtually? Absolutely. And it, it's hard. I will tell you, virtual is much harder than in person because there is that human touch that you can, not necessarily a physical touch, but this humanness when you're directly with someone, that matters. But today we do find ourselves, I'm not the only person working from home now. There are so many people out there working in their homes. And so I think you have to take these activities and you have to be even more intentional. I think it's important that my team meet every single day. Uh, I, I, sometimes I'm in airports. Sometimes I'm in hotels. Sometimes I'm on campus at, in Washington, D.C. But re- regardless of where I'm at, it's important that we gather. And so for my team, we gather and we still do some of the things. If you remember back when you were uh, president of Modern Day, when I would gather administrators, I'd say, everybody share what you had for dinner last night. And again, it seems simple, but people tell stories when they do that. So some of these activities continue to be just fine, but there are some that you can't do because it's virtual. So you have to, to be really creative. I also would encourage people that work virtually to really pay attention to the backgrounds of people. Uh, I was on the uh, on a conference call with a major donor from California yesterday, and you know it's very cloudy and gray here. He has a bank of windows, and the sky was beautiful, sunny, blue, just what you'd think of. And so I pointed that out, and the the donor went on a five minute conversation about how beautiful it is and how grateful he is to be able to live in California. Again, just because I pointed something out like that. And I think that you, you, you have to be in more intentional and you have to really think, okay, I can't do these things because we're not in person, but I can do these other things. The cell phone activity you can do. They just have to hold it up to the screen. So it can be adapted, but it is harder. Mm-hmm. I had a, a similar experience yesterday as uh, had a Teams meeting, and there was a client on the call uh, in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And I, I was looking at his background, and I, I couldn't tell if it was this beautiful painting or a window. And it was, sure enough, a window, and it showed the, uh, trees, and they were covered with snow. It was just a beautiful picture. And I just I just asked him about it, and, and he just went on mm-hmm. and on, and he loves where he lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't be the place for me, but you know, it's just, you could see that 
um, that excitement, and mm-hmm. it was, you know, it, it is a connection that we it's made. Relational. Mm-hmm. It's relational. Exactly. And I've seen variations, too, of, you know, for example, the, the cell phone, and sometimes in virtual meetings, I've asked people, you know, to share something in the room they're in currently that's, that's important right. to them. Mm-hmm. And it might be a photo on their, mm-hmm. their cell phone or, it might right. be or a, a coffee cup. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I think those, those are maybe even more important in the virtual world mm-hmm. because we don't have that opportunity for the sort of the banter that can happen mm-hmm. on in between meetings or walking in that's from right. the parking lot. Mm-hmm. So I think being really intentional is key. And, and that's my experience too. I think it's even harder in the remote environment mm-hmm. and we probably have to be even more intentional to build community, to build engagement when we have remote workers. And I would say also about remote, and, and I, I can't, I wish I could credit the author. She's over in multiple worldwide companies that have all formed one large uh, conglomerate. And she said, embrace the home that you work within. And what she means by that is, and, and, I, and I have done this with the staff that I'm blessed to be a part of, is that if a dog barks, if, if, you, if you have a baby and the baby cries, like it's all part of, if a doorman, you know, somebody delivers something to your door, these are, this is no different than if you were in a conference room and somebody came in the room and interrupted because they didn't realize you were in the middle of a meeting. You would just say, oh, come on in or what do you need? But when we're at home, it seemed like people were afraid that, oh, I might get in trouble if the doorbell rings or the dog barks. And, and I've learned to just really embrace that. And, and, it, and when you do, it really helps the other people working from home say, okay, they really do understand the environment in which I have to work within. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. I like that. Tell us, how can people find out more about Dr. Daryl Hagan? <laughs> Well, if you, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Dr. Daryl Hagan uh, on LinkedIn. I also have a Facebook page. I am not, I'm not a social media person, but uh, the team around me, meaning my family, uh, have surrounded me and my, my family have been huge supporters of my whole ministry over the last 40 years, but very excited about this book and, and the talks that I'm going out and giving. And so they have created a, a, the Facebook page, Daryl Hagen, doc, uh, or EDD, and you can follow, follow the progress of the book, follow the progress of the talks that I'll be giving. And so Facebook and LinkedIn would be the best way. And the book's available on Amazon. And on Amazon today. You can order it, Tad, today. All right. Very good. Well, Daryl, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Really enjoyed the conversation. I think you provided some excellent guidance for people related to how they can engage their employees. I think your your book can be a great resource that provides some practical suggestions for, for leaders as they do this. And uh, I'm excited as this rolls out, uh, some of the you know, speaking opportunities and, and other ways that you'll be spreading this message, because I think it is an important message and it's important guidance for for um, leaders to take in and will ultimately help them lead better and more effectively and help the organizations they lead. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Thank you.
To learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel Group, please visit tadickel.com. Thank you for joining us.